Hi, this is Kevin Massaro, Swirl Ranch, 1999. You're listening to Westchester Church Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Westchester Church Podcast proudly presents David Creek. We are journeying through the Sermon on the Mount, and just last week we had concluded the Beatitudes. But I've never felt stronger or more excited to be a Christian than I am right now after we have poured ourselves into just exactly what Jesus is saying here about if you want to know what it's like to follow in my footsteps, this is how it looks like. And I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. He transitions to verse 13. And he makes a couple of of statements and declarations about just exactly what we are um, in him. And I would like to look at the very first of these declarations in verse 13, where he says to his followers that you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. And as we've seen all throughout in this series so far, these are all verses that we've heard a lot of us for our entire lives. We can quote these frontwards and backwards. But all of that is in vain if we don't understand just exactly what this means. What does Jesus mean when he says that that you are the salt of the earth? Well, as we consider salt in the ancient world, salt was a very valuable substance. In fact, it had really, I would say, a couple of main uses. As we see salt in this particular sense, salt was the way that you would preserve food in the ancient world. Because if we were to realize this was roughly 1800 years before anybody had refrigerators or freezers. And so this was how you would prolong the life of what you would eat. It would give give all of your um, food just about a much longer life on the shelf. And yet it had another main use. And that is this is how you would season food. Now, it's hard for us to imagine, but because in our world we have million spices when we cook things. In fact, if we didn't have our spices, our food would be, I mean, absolutely unedible to us. But we go back more than 2,000 years ago in these ancient times, and this was the one and only way, more or less, that you could season food. So this was the only way that you could give very um, mundane, very um, bland food its taste, is if you had salt. And so, I mean, salt was a necessity to these people's lives. It was that important. It was so important in the Roman Empire that a lot of times Roman soldiers would be paid in salt as if it were just as good as currency. So this is a very valuable substance in this day and age that that we're reading about. And yet, really, in order for us to really understand and to capture what Jesus is saying about how you are the salt of the earth. We've got to remember that the context of all of this, it comes right after Jesus has revealed what the Beatitudes are. 
really all of this is revolving around the Beatitudes. Jesus is referring to the Beatitudes about this is what the characteristics are if you want to follow in my footsteps. Now, you might remember we began looking at the Beatitudes by, by recognizing Jesus' audience. Now, as Jesus gives the Beatitudes, he's speaking to a people who were really just like us. I mean, just, just everyday common Joes and Nancys. Only in their case, they, they were looked upon in their world as absolute nobodies. If life were a movie, these were just the ancillary characters in the background, really not as important as the main actors and actresses. But now notice in Jesus, now their lives are taking on this enormous identity that, that I am somebody in Jesus, that I really do matter in the eyes of God. And so in the Beatitudes, what Jesus is saying is that now, all of a sudden, if you follow in my footsteps, now you, he says, your very lives are going to take on this extremely enormous importance. And now what he's saying here in verse 13 is that now, in addition to that, you also have this enormous gargantuan responsibility that you are to be the salt of the earth. In other words, what he's saying is that you guys are going to be the ones who make life on the earth for other people very delicious. You're going to bring a brand new flavor to this world that, that has never been tasted by human taste buds, spiritually speaking. You're going to make life on the earth beautiful when all they have ever known is ugliness and hostility. It doesn't matter all the ways that this world has always insisted that it must operate. Jesus is saying, follow me. Follow me into this brand new world of radical love, of radical living. We call this the Beatitudes. You see, the Beatitudes are so important for us to master and to live with. Because these Beatitudes are what are the very thing which brings flavor to a tasteless world, to a very bland world, this is going to bring flavor to it. It's going to give so many people a much longer life in the sense that it's never going to end in Christ. The Beatitudes bring color to our black and white world. And what that flavor is, is as it says elsewhere in Scripture, that flavor is Christ in us. How Paul writes, as he writes to the church of Colossae, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Every single day, we have a gift that we offer the world, and that gift is Jesus in us. Christ in us. When we take these Beatitudes and we make them our very own and our conduct and our lifestyle begins echoing these Beatitudes, what this means is that the kingdom of heaven is arriving in our workplaces at the supermarket checkout line. I mean, anywhere we will go throughout the day, we get to bring heaven to these people. And there was a very long episode of my life where I would wake up in the morning and I was sad that I was still here. Didn't want to be here any longer. But now I'm at the point where, and it's really once Jim had suggested us looking at the Beatitudes last year and really 
capturing these beatitudes that now I'm waking up every morning and, and I can't wait to get out those doors. I feel excited because it's, it's a lot like baseball. You know, you just never know what's going to happen once it starts. And so, I mean, every single day now is an adventure. Every room that I walk into, every person who I encounter, this is an opportunity to be the salt of the earth. And it is the most exciting thing that I have ever experienced in this life. Once we begin maturing to this point where, where you and I really, those words in Galatians start leaping off the page that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ living in me. And the life that I now live by faith, I live in Him through the Son of God who loved me and who gave Himself up for me. It's like, it might look like me. When I speak, it sounds the way that I've always sounded, but it's no longer me who is active and who is in control inside of this body. Now it is Jesus. I live because Jesus lives. I love because Jesus loves. It's Christ who is living and at work inside of me. And I was amazed at a quote that I read by, by, um, by um, uh, um, a scholar at Abilene Christian College where he's speaking about a person who he knows who has led more people to a saving relationship with Jesus more than anyone who he ever knew. But he says that this person who he knows claims to have never once asked anybody for a Bible study. That's because he's in the world in such a way that he doesn't have to ask them for a Bible study. They notice the way that he's living and they ask him for more information about Jesus. I mean, how incredible is this? I believe this is the way that it was intended to be. Jesus says that, that you are the salt of the earth. As our world rots and decays like rotten fish on the shelf, Jesus has given us something so inherently holy that is bringing flavor to this world and that is preserving it, giving it a brand new taste that it's never experienced before. This is an incredible thing. This is powerful stuff right here. And yet Jesus does not end there once he says that you are the salt of the earth. But rather, Jesus asks the very first question in the entire Sermon on the Mount. And we know, if we know anything about Scripture, whenever God asks a question, God is trying to instill something in us that is very foreign to our minds. God never asks a question so that he might learn something in response. God asks a question so that he can convict us and ultimately transform us. It's true that we are the salt of the earth, but what does he say in the latter part of that verse? He says, yes, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Jesus says that the salt can become a tasteless commodity. And when he says that word of useless or of something that is tasteless, in the original language, it is a word which means something very wise and profound. But it's being passed off to others as if it were foolishness, stupidity. 
It means to desecrate or to taint something. And as Jesus says in the text, it is something that, that as powerful as it is, it has now become useless. And it is of no use whatsoever anymore. In fact, we have a textbook example of this in the book of Romans. For the past year or so, in our afternoon class, we've been having an incredible study in Romans. And if you have yet to come, you guys are really missing out. And we'd like to encourage anybody else to come. Where, where we have an example of just exactly this, where it opens up in Romans. And as we hear Paul say, he speaks about the gospel. He says that, the, I believe that, he says that, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is God's power to salvation to everyone who believes. This gospel is incredibly potent and powerful, he says. Yet even though all of that is true, just one chapter later on, he's speaking to a people who a great number of them, it appears, have been condemning other people for doing things. Well, all along they were doing the exact same thing or maybe even worse things. And so he says that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of your conduct, because of the way that you have been living. You see, in this case, all of these Gentiles who he speaks about, which had represented that non-believing world at the time, what he's referring to is that even though God's gospel is the most powerful thing in the universe, when it was passed off to these Gentiles, it was not exactly potent or powerful any longer in their eyes. You took this extraordinary thing and you passed it off to them as if it were just ordinary or mundane. You took that which was divine and in their eyes they have this impression that it's mortal because of the inconsistent way that you're living. Because after all, as Jesus says, we are the salt of the world. But the salt can become a tasteless thing. And when it reaches that point where it's no longer in good taste, where, it, where we have sucked all of the flavor out of it, Jesus says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by other people. I think about something else that the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Colossians chapter 4. In chapter 4 of Colossians in verse 5, he says something that is complete harmony with what we're seeing this morning where he says conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of every opportunity then notice how he says let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each and to every individual who you encounter See, the reason why this is so significant, what, what Paul just said here is significant, is because even though it might not always seem as if it were true, anybody who knows that we're Christians, I guarantee you that they're watching the way that we're living. They are listening to the things that are coming out of our mouths. They're reading everything that we post on Facebook and on Instagram and, and on social media. The world is listening. The world is watching. And as followers of Jesus, we really the very reason why we exist is to bring the flavors of heaven to this world. But Jesus said, let the salter beware. The salt can lose its flavor. And the salt can, can taint and even desecrate that which it, it is sharing and reflecting in the world. And so, I mean, our, 
I mean, is the church influencing the world? Or is it a matter that the world is influencing the church far more? Jesus says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Richard Rohr expresses it this way. He says that it seems like so many saints and prophets who preach in the world come back to convert or reconvert the people of God first. Until the church believes its own core message, there, there's really no point in going out and telling other people to be Christian. If we don't believe our own message, we are doing more harm than we're doing good in the world. And I think that is true so often of us as human beings. When I came out of a seminary, my mission was to convert the lost. And that is a noble thing. It still is. This is in part why we exist also. And yet I think all of us as Christians, anybody who seeks to, to bring others to a saving faith in Christ, no matter who we are, Really, the journey that I've been on the last couple of years is, is that before I, I go to convert the lost, maybe the saved need to be converted again and again first, starting with me. I don't know if you knew this about me or not, but I'm actually very skilled at doing impressions of celebrities. And in fact, I've been told many times before that if you close your eyes while I do my impression of Elvis Presley, you would be convinced, absolutely convinced, that Elvis Presley himself were actually in this room. I don't do this very often, but just for a few seconds, I'm going to give you a taste of this. Um, and so without further ado, I give to you my impression of Elvis Presley. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Elvis Presley, and I'm the king of rock and roll. In fact, my most famous song is, Everybody on the old cell block, they was dancing to the jailhouse rock. All right, now, I want to get your honest feedback. That impression was, was really good, wasn't it? It was spot on, right? Maisie, be honest with me. How good was that impression? Well, I'm hearing a groan there. Because it's true. That anybody who knows anything even remotely about Elvis Presley would say, that was the worst impression of the king that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, at no point did you sound anything like him. And yet, it's so very often the case how the world sees Christians loudly proclaiming to be Christians. But anyone who knows anything remotely, anything about Jesus Christ could say, that is the worst impression of the King that we've ever seen. And yet, as the body of Christ and as His church, that's just exactly what we've been called by God to be and what we are all to become. As the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God. 
John in his epistle writes in 1 John that, that anyone who says that he abides in him, he himself ought to walk in the same manner in which Christ Jesus also walked. And so no longer is it merely that, that I am a convert of Christ or that, that I am attending a worship gathering service, but, but really what this is all about is that we become impersonators of Jesus Christ. And I love that description because in our world, as wonderful as that name Christian is, it's lost its scandal. It's lost its oomph in our world. And yet imagine introducing yourself to another person and, and we're just getting to know each other and, and they ask us what we believe and we say, oh, I'm an impersonator of, of, of Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't think the world's ever heard something like that before. But that really captures what we are to be. I am a person who is aspiring to be Christ-like. At the end of every year, we, we always see men who are getting all dressed up in red suits and white beards, and, and they are, are um, impersonators of Santa Claus. In fact, I think just about all of us has that, that wild, crazy uncle who every year at the family get-togethers loves to, to jump into that red suit. He's got the white beard on and everything for, for him, all the kids. But at the end of that party, though, that red suit is coming off. That white beard, very fake, that, that also is coming off. And yet every day in our world, the number one problem in this world is that there are a lot of people in our world running around doing horrible, hellish things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That is our struggle. We read that we are to be impersonators of God, but, but so often, if we're honest, all we're doing is being imitators of the scribes and Pharisees. Or we're, all we're doing is just going through religious rituals and routines. We're not actually following Jesus. I mean, sometimes all we're doing is getting all dressed up in a red suit and saying ho, ho, ho and, and just pretending to be something that we're not. But once that, that closing prayer has been said, that suit comes off and that fake beard comes off and we go back to being who we really were in the real world. And yet our culture has enough Kris Kringle and, and Elvis and, um, I'm impersonators. What this world needs, what this church needs, are, are Jesus Christ imitators. And yet having said that, though, there are a lot of Jesuses running around in our world that are not the true Jesus. Think, for instance, about the angry Jesus. Everybody, um, anybody ever met this one before? Where you meet a person and their Jesus is a very angry Jesus. He always has that scowl on his face. He's always walking around, he's got that whip in his hands, and he just can't, can't wait to crack that whip on you. He exists to, to rain on everybody's parade. And he knows it, and, and we know it, that it's just a matter of time before he sends us forevermore into the flames of hell. Because after all, that is, I mean, he can't wait to, until that day when we go to hell. And as obviously untrue as all of that is, there are a lot of people whose, whose only encounter with Jesus has been from religious people who, who made Jesus out to be angry like this. And yet there is also the, the American Jesus where, 
there are all these other nations in the world, but I mean, he, he kind of likes those other nations. He tolerates them, but the only nation that he loves is America. The United States of America is, is his darling. And if you're not from America, then you're probably not going to heaven because after all, God only loves America. It's a very political Jesus, right? Of all the people in the world, God likes them, but it's white America who, who Jesus really cares about. And if you don't look just like me, then, well, I guess you're just out of luck. Is also the wimpy Jesus. It's a Jesus who always has his head down and speaks very softly, won't ever look you in the eye, and it's just, well, I, I would like it if you were to follow after me. But listen, if, if you don't want to believe in me, that's fine. If you want to reject me and curse me out to my face, that's fine. Because after all, the whole world's going to heaven. It really doesn't matter how you live. My, my, um, my gospel is just, well, it's just okay, I guess. But you can take it or leave it because everybody's going straight to heaven. And there's a lot of people who think that this is Jesus. And yet that's not the real Jesus, is it? None of these is the true Jesus. All of the, you know, all this really is is just imposter idols that we have concocted in our own image that we call Jesus. All this is is the defamation of the true character of Jesus Christ. I find it interesting how on many shows and movies, if you watch very closely, if you're ever watching something and it has a Christian character, with very few um, exceptions, if there's a character in a movie who's a Christian, I can almost guarantee you that it's a very angry character, a very strange oddball, who is very condescending and, and hateful and hypocritical. I remember a show called The Office many years ago, and they had a character whose name was Angela. And out of everyone in that entire office, this was the person who you did not want to be around because she's just very angry and hateful and judgmental. But she's very loud about her Christianity, of course. While all along, she's doing far worse things than, than you know everybody who she's condemning to hell. And I mean, this... I mean, it irritates me how this goes in Hollywood because it's just such a, a gross stereotype to even infer that, I mean, seriously, every single Christian is like this. And yet on the other hand, though, the other side of that is something that we really need to consider is that could it be that, that many of the people who create characters like this and who write people like this into movies and shows is that they don't necessarily always have an agenda against Christians. But maybe they are just going off of what they know. Maybe because a lot of these people have only had Jesus shouted at them, but they've never had Jesus, the real Jesus, actually shown to them. They've only heard the good news shouted at them as if it were bad news. Jesus says that the salt, when it becomes tasteless, it's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And that's exactly what's going on in Hollywood. 
I mean, no wonder so many people want nothing to do with this. They think that it's bad news. And I just want to say that if that was my one and only impression that I was given by Christians, I mean, I can see where a lot of these people might be coming from. But having said that, I believe with all of my heart that there really are people in this city and in this world who really are, are already searching for the real Jesus. We just have to give them the salt. We just have to be the salt in their lives. And as for us, we know how Christians are being portrayed in Hollywood, but that's really not the question. Really, the question is, how am I portraying Jesus in the world today? How is the church going to portray Jesus in the lives that we are going to live? That is really what matters. Of all the musicians who I've ever heard, my absolute favorite is Duke Ellington. And, of course, he was living in a time where if you were African-American and you were living in America in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, you, you could not eat in the same restaurants as, as most um, other people. You were treated as if you were an animal in many cases. But, but he has this great quote where he says that even though all of this had been true, my father and mother raised us with this mantra that, that wherever you go, whatever you say, and whatever you do, that you are to act on behalf of the black race. So in other words, when other people treat you and as they act like animals to you, you respond in, in such a way that, that you show them what being a, a human being is all about. When they bombard you with ignorance and with hatred, you bombard them with the love of God. And I believe in so many ways this is what Jesus is saying when he says you are the salt of the earth. What he's saying to us is that whatever you say, whatever you do, and wherever you happen to go in my name, Act on behalf of the Christian race. Act on behalf of Christ himself. And I close with this thought. I had heard about this art museum in Spain. And they had this old masterpiece painting of, of um, Christ. And, but it began to deteriorate. And yet there was a woman who worked in this museum where... As it closed for the night, she had said, you know what, I'm going to completely fix this problem. So the museum closes and she has her paintbrush and her colors and she starts going to town on this old painting, thinking that, that I'm going to restore it. But what ensued was nothing less of a disaster. To say the very least, once that museum opened for business the very next day, she had not fooled anybody. But all she managed to do was to destroy and to deface a masterpiece painting. In fact, the newspaper headline said it all the next day, elderly woman ruins a 19th century fresco in a restoration attempt. Now, in its original state, it looked just like this. It was Jesus, just as John had announced him. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But when this woman had gotten through with the painting, it looked like this. And it looks nothing like it had before. It makes Jesus look like this hideous monkey that has rabies or something like that, you know? 
And yet, having said that, though, in so many ways, I empathize with this woman. Because in so many ways, I actually am this woman. How even with the very greatest of intentions, sometimes we can seek to restore the church, but we can just make this huge, unholy mess. Many times we might leave the door thinking and and trying and trying and trying to be the salt of the earth, but all we manage to do is just make a total mess out there. Looking back in my life to where my lifestyle, instead of announcing to the world, behold, the Lamb of God in me who takes away the sins of the world, I was announcing through my hypocrisy and through my actions, behold, the monkey with rabies. I'm reminded of words from a song that that my mom and dad played when when I was younger. Um, Dan Fogelberg's song. I don't know if anybody remembers Dan Fogelberg, but he had the song, um, the leader of the band, that's about his father. His father was a musician. And the chorus goes, the leader of the band is tired and his eyes are growing old, but his blood runs through my instruments and his song is in my soul. But what I would like to emphasize in that chorus is where it says words that are so relatable to us as Christians and as Christ imitators. Where it says that my life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man. Yet nevertheless, I'm just a living legacy of the leader of the band. And even though we will not always succeed in properly impersonating Jesus, We serve a God who hears his children singing horrendously off-key, but in his ears, he can hear a symphony. It's a God who, as he watches us awkwardly crawling on the ground, thinking in our minds that, that we're sprinting for Jesus, he beams with absolute pride upon us as we grow and as, as we mature. It's just like a parent who they, they have an eight-year-old child who comes home from school and they have this very awkward stick figure drawing that they did, but, but they proudly display it on the refrigerator. They have art that they had made in class and it's just made of, of nothing but sticks and popsicles, but in their eyes as their parent, it is a masterpiece of art. Brothers and sisters, we are the salt of the earth. And if we're not careful, it can lose its saltiness and it can lose its flavor. Let us spur one another on to bring that flavor and to bring color into our hurting and in our black and white world. Ladies and gentlemen. Hi, this is Kevin Massaro. Everybody on the old cell block. They was dancing to the jailhouse rock. I'm the king of rock and roll.